Good morning. You may be seated. I love how we sing What Child Is This after we bring all those children on stage. It's very timely. <laughs> we got a video to start off with. This video is for you. All right, now again, uh, last disclaimer, if you're in here and there's a, um, if you're a child in here and you love Santa, um, parents, now is your opportunity to bring that child to our children's ministry classes um, immediately <laughs> before we get farther into uh, this sermon. Uh, I, I, isn't, isn't the Santa, isn't it all fun? Isn't Christmas just fun? It's my favorite time of year. I, when it, when it, the season hits, I literally like to just go to Walmart or name the store and just walk through the Christmas aisles because it happens earlier and earlier every year, doesn't it? It does, yeah. How many of you uh, put a tree up before Thanksgiving? We talked about after. You might put before Thanksgiving? Before. What, June, July? <laughs> oh, okay, okay, you know, whatever, you know. Uh, I, love, I love Christmas. I love everything about it. And the whole Santa thing is great. You know, there's a, I was looking at articles about Santa, and I have this article here. I researched for all these, and so I spared no expense of my time for you guys. The article says, what to do if a Grinch tells your child that Santa doesn't exist? And it gave some pointers on what you do. And so as a parent, you know, you read this and you go, first of all, you show them that you believe. After all, how can you expect your child to have faith in something that you don't? Show them Santa's writings. Like, send them a letter. Show them his writings. Show them a video of Santa or dress up and visit them. Engage in Christmas traditions at home. Don't just see Santa at the mall. Live it out at home. And finally, track Santa around the world on a tra Santa tracker website. Now, I thought that was great advice. And it's amazing how similar it is if you're, if you're a parent raising your child to believe in Jesus. Show them you believe. After all, how can you expect your children to have faith in something you don't? There you go. Show them Jesus' writings. Engage in Jesus' traditions at home. Don't just see Jesus at the mall or, or church. <laughs> yeah. That's a... An Easter tradition that never gets old. <laughs> Engage with Jesus at home and finally track Jesus around the world on a Jesus Tracker website. <laughs> but I do, I do love uh, the season. There's always this epic battle, and some people, it is a big battle. Is it, is it about Jesus? Is it about Santa? How do we do both? How do we keep Jesus the reason for the season? We can't, you can't even spell Christmas without Christ. We can put an X in there, Xmas. Well, X is the Greek letter for Christ. Ha, ha, ha. Like, it, there's a lot that goes on in here. <laughs> Santa with Jesus. I love Christmas, and honestly, Christmas is one of the, uh, it's a very big deal around a church. Not only is it uh, the CEO and founder's birthday of us, um, but it's, it's a time when we're going to have over a thousand people come visit us on his birthday party. And Christmas is one of, the, one of the two holidays where anybody can show up in church. I mean, there's Easter and there's Christmas, and e let's be honest, Christmas is the safe one. I mean, Easter, I've invited people to, to Easter, and there's been like an hour-long sermon in graphic detail about a public execution. Um, but, but Christmas, you invite someone to Christmas, and they hear that, that fleecy um, Jesus who didn't cry and the, and the scentless animals in the, in the barn. It's beautiful. We love Christmas. But I want to stop all that for one minute and talk about how, just how improbable Christmas is. Today I want to talk about the impossibility of Christmas. Because it's a fun story. It's a fun account. But if you stop to think about the impossibility of it, well good, because we're going to today. Uh, I mean, do you understand how inconceivable it is for a virgin to conceive? 
Just wrap your head around that. In science, it's called parthenogenesis. And it doesn't happen with people. It happens in like small bug life. And the way it works out, they're usually always female babies. And so we have this miracle uh, that, that a, a virgin conceives a baby. Then we have Joseph. You thought about Joseph much? He's engaged to his, his he's betrothed. It's a big word. He's betrothed to Mary. He knows her. They're a small town. He's known her for probably his whole life. Seen her worship. Knows her. And she comes and tells him, I'm pregnant. And you're not the father. You know, you've all seen Mari Povich. You know, like Joseph of Arimathea, you are not the father. <laughs> and Joseph would have to work through all those. But, but the impossibility of Christmas comes in because Joseph has a dream where a celestial being tells him it's God's baby. The impossibility of Christmas. Wise men follow a star. You ever followed a star? Well, don't they move during the night? <laughs> Wise men follow a star. Now there's something about the star that led them and something in prophecies that they had um, from the east that led them to this place to find this baby. Then we have shepherds seeing angels, and I searched and searched Orchard, and historical records are clear that LSD and marijuana were not prevalent at this time. But these shepherds are out in a field, and the sky opens up, and they see angels declaring the birth of the Messiah. I just am, we're having fun, but I'm just painting the picture of the impossibility of Christmas. It goes further. Herod, the guy in charge of it, got angry. And I know this is impossible and shocking, but the government opposed the thought of someone taking their power. Shocking. And then God, here's the miracle of miracles. God comes in human form. Emmanuel, the name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. As if it wasn't already impossible enough, the divine creator of the universe put on the flesh of a human and came. You know, the Bible says this. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's the Easter message, that he died and he rose again. But I've come to find in this industry that we work in that Easter's actually a little easier to accept than Christmas. Because as a culture, we get sacrificial death, don't we? We get sacrificing yourself. In the movie Titanic, Jack sacrificed so that Rose could live, even though there was room for both of them on the wood. Like, you know? <laughs> Neo in The Matrix, he dies and comes back to life to provide a path for humanity. William Wallace in Braveheart dies so that freedom can live on. And in Twilight, the movie Twilight, good movie making was sacrificed on the altar of pop culture. We get, we get sacrificial die. We get that. I want us to have fun with Christmas today. We get that. But Christmas, Christmas is different. A baby born out of wedlock that, FYI, is God. God starts, decides to start a new movement, and he chooses a teenage girl in a backcountry town. The king of the universe is coming to inhabit the realm of men and women, and he puts on flesh, and he comes not, not into a castle, not onto a throne, but he chooses a poor and simple family. Christmas is perhaps the most far-fetched thing in here. It's so impossible that to add it as the beginning of a new movement of the New Testament, to add it as the beginning of this movement, of this holy text here in the New Testament, it, it seems ridiculous to me. Like, if I'm going to start a movement that's going to appeal to the masses, I 
don't know if I'm going to write it that way. I mean, if you're, if you're going to start a movement, and that's how you start it, the only reason you would write it this way, well, is if, is if it happened that way. Like, you wouldn't go, let's, let's see, how can I start this? No, no, that's how you would write it if that's what happened, because there's no other explanation. A lot of wonder and a lot of, of the story has been lost. You know, that we've lost the wonder about Christmas. What, one thing I want to do today is highlight the impossibility of it, highlight the wonder of it. But a lot of it in our culture has become so familiar, we've lost it. But even now, a lot of what's familiar about the Christmas story is being lost because of the cultural celebration. A- and to, to prove this point, we, um, Charlie and I hired Jimmy Kimmel to, uh, to record a video for us that you will see on what is happening to the truth of Christmas. <laughs> you can, okay, that's good. You can see... Uh, Peter, that's good. You can see uh, there's some, some cross-pollination there in the story. And, and it's all fun. You know, in my, in my family, we, we talk about Santa, and we, and we do talk about Jesus, and we worship one of them. And, and it's a lot. But, but, but the impossibility of Christmas, it's hard to, how do we put all this together? And not only for kids, for us. Like, we just went through how improbable and impossible Christmas actually would be. Emmanuel. God is with us, which is what that means. It comes from Isaiah 7, 14, which is a prophecy well before Jesus was born. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and you will call him, he will be called Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. God is with us. The miracle of God coming to humanity. What a miracle and what a mystery. Jesus being fully God and fully man is a mystery that is hard to explain. And, and one of the greatest things that in this life is the wonder of mystery. That's one of the things that our modern era has actually tried to squeeze out of us is wonder and mystery. Albert Einstein says this, the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. The mysterious is the source of all true art and all true science. And to that person whom mystery is a stranger, who can no longer pause and wonder or even stand wrapped in awe, might as well be as good as dead, for their eyes are closed to life. You see, we've lost the wonder. We've lost the awe. We've lost the appreciation for God's mystery. You see, when the world begins to make perfect sense, when we cease to believe that the supernatural is probable, not just out there, but that it's probable, it's available to us, when we stop seeing that there is mystery to God, when we stop having moments of awe, when we have a God who's in a box that we can fully explain, our faith truly loses something very powerful. When our wonder and awe at God shrinks, our faith shrinks. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, He says when we lose our wonder, this happens. We end up with a God who can never surprise us, who can never overwhelm us, who will never astonish us, and who will never transcend us when we lose that awe. It's important to keep the awe and the mystery for the impossible, for the things that God does. Without these things, without remembering the wonder of of Christmas and the the awe and the mystery of all that God did, our faith becomes man-human-sized. A divine being without mystery, without awe, and without wonder is not that impressive. In fact, do you know why God may have chosen? Did you ever ask, ask, ask yourself, why did God choose to announce his birth to shepherds? Like, don't you think instead he could, um, 
go somewhere a little more crowded? I mean, shepherds, do you know they were, where they were on the social scale? They're, they're youth, okay? There's no, like, they're not grown men shepherds. They're youth, boys and girls. Uh, oftentimes, they're dropouts. This, this is, they're, they're in the family uh, um, business. They're not going to school anymore. They don't have a lot of political aspirations. They don't have um, corporate ladders to climb. It's a world difference than all the religious leaders, and even the lifestyle is different than all the, just even the, the blue-collar workers down in, the, in Bethlehem City. Like, you would think that God would go to the temple on a holy day and, and rend the sky open and have the angels announce to the crowds, the Messiah has come. You think he would go appear to the priests and say, the Messiah is being born. But he chose simple youth. He chose these kids, not packed in a temple, but on a dark hillside spotted with sheep. What would happen if he had showed up to the rabbis and theologians? What do you think? What if he had shown up to the priests? Well, Max Lucado has a quote about this. He said, had, G, had the angel gone to the theologians, they would have had to consult their commentaries. Had he gone to the elite, they would have had to look around to see who was watching. Had he gone to the successful, they would have first looked at their calendar. So they went to shepherds, boys and girls who had no reputation to pr- protect or axe to grind or ladder to climb. Youth who didn't know to tell God that, hey, you shouldn't appear to shepherds and sheep. Hey, there shouldn't be babies, messiahs born in rags in a feed trough. You see, had God revealed his plan to the priests who had God fully figured out, I don't think they would have accepted it. Now, you know why I believe this? Because when Jesus revealed himself to the priests as a grown man and was working miracles, did they accept it? He goes and he heals a guy on the Sabbath, and the priests don't celebrate it. They plot to kill him. You see, their God was in a box, and Jesus wasn't acting the way that they thought he should. When God no longer surprises us, when he no longer surprises us, we have him in a box, and we miss the work that he is doing all the time. Which makes me ask this, how much wonder do you have with God? How much room do you actually, actually have in your life? How much room does he have in your life to speak to you? Do you expect it? How much room does he have in your life to to act or to call call you to something, or to heal, or to work miracles? How much awe and wonder do you have available? How much expectation do you have available that he would move on in these ways? See, when we claim to believe in a God that does all these supernatural things, but in reality, we don't expect him to, it's a sad state of affairs for our faith. And I, I, I live in this tension of saying I believe in a God that can do anything, but I fail to expect anything oftentimes. When we stop expecting God to do these things, we stop hoping for him to do these things. And we stop having hope that God will move mightily, our faith shrinks to a very manageable size. Follow me on this. You see, if we have smaller expectations, it leads to smaller hope. Because you're not hoping in expectations. And when you have smaller hope, then you have smaller faith. Because Hebrews 11:1 says, faith is confidence in what we hope for so what if your hope is this big we only have enough have to have enough faith to fit that when our expectation and wonder of the mystery of god becomes boxed in 
Our expectations become small. Our hope becomes small and manageable. And my faith becomes manageable. And I only get to brush it off maybe for an hour and a half, or only an hour in the, in the new year, um, for church. That's when I expect God to move. I expect God to move in these four walls. And then I'm gonna go back to my life. You see, when we lose the wonder and the awe and the expectation, our hope shrinks and our faith becomes manageable and man-sized. When our hope loses wonder, it all shrinks. Our faith that God will walk with us begins to shrink. Our faith that God will speak to us, our faith that God will move in us and move through us begins to get smaller. And I want to bring this up because Christmas challenges this. Christmas isn't just a nice, fleecy baby Jesus. It challenges our wonder. It challenges our faith. It challenges our expectations and our hope. Christmas is a miracle. Christmas is impossible. Christmas is amazing. Christmas tells us that the almighty creator of the entire universe loved you so much and desired a relationship with you so much that it came in human flesh to provide a way for you to get to the Father. He did not come in the palace of a king, not in the authority of a ruler, and not even in the position of a politician. He came as a helpless baby boy, dependent in a, in a cave to a teenage mother, to an adopting father. We need to take our safe, sweet Christmas off the nativity and re-examine what it means for our heart. Because Christmas is the beginning of an amazing movement. But Christmas should stretch our faith and our hope and our wonder of God. Emmanuel, God is with us. John 1, verse 14 says, And the Word, that's God, became flesh. God became flesh. Jesus became flesh. He dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. The glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Emmanuel, God is here as a man, breathing our air, heart beating blood amongst those who created. God works miracles. He didn't need the theologians to work these miracles. He didn't need to go to the priests to make. Uh, there's a quote by Mark Nepo that says, birds don't need ornithologists to fly. Like, like, birds don't need bird scientists to fly. They just do it. God doesn't need theologians to do miracles. He's going to do it. See, God is not looking for a people who, who try to figure out what he can and can't do. He's not looking for people that can put him in a, in a box Maybe that's why he went to the shepherds. They took him at face value. They heard this, and Luke says that they hurried off to go find it. They didn't sit there and go, what do you think? What do you think? Oftentimes we dissect what God would have us do to death until the moment is past. God says, he prompts you, go feed that person. Hmm, let me think about this. What should I do? What should I do? God would prompt you, you know what? There's some people at work that need the message of Jesus, that's good. What, would you, what do you think I should do, Charlie? Oh, man, I, let's, let's, let's pray about this. We, we, we dissect it to death. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the miracle of Christmas. So with your permission, I'm going to read some of the Christmas story. Is that okay? Now, my dad's going to do a much more phenomenal job of this on Christmas Eve. Um, but I want us to look at this story again. I want you to read, I want you to hear this story with Christmas eyes of impossibility, the story of a God who moved heaven and earth to be present with us, okay? So, so wipe clean the chalkboard, shake the, 
what etch and sketch of, of all the things that you think about Christmas and the sweetness and the niceness. And listen once again, maybe with a fresh faith, fresh hope, and let's see what God does here. I'm going to skip around from, the, from the, all the Gospels to put together this, this picture of what happened. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to the town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. That's important. They're telling us that the descendant of David means it's in the divine royal line, and that's who the Messiah would come from. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings! You can imagine how this would have gone. She's, she's in her house. She's somewhere, and an angel appears and says, Greetings! You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, how would you respond to that? Mary, it says, she was greatly troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Yeah. Have you ever had somebody come up and they're so overly nice to you? Hey, looking good today. And you're like, what do you want? Because it says, greetings. You are highly favored. The Lord's with you. It says, she's greatly troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. A celestial being is telling me I'm favored and the Lord's with me. Okay, what, where are we going with this? But the angel said to her, and this is what angels always say, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and give him the name Jesus. He'll be great and be called the son of the most high. Right about now is where she starts going, what? So you're, it's not Joseph's baby. It's not, when I'm, it's not later down the road. I, it's going to be son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will be, his, it will never end. She, the angels just declared, your son's going to be the Messiah, the chosen one. All that language in there, it, it comes from, from generations in the Old Testament, packed full of prophetic goodness. The Messiah, you're going to have the Messiah as a baby. And so she has one question that we would all ask. How can this be? I'm still a virgin. Angel said, don't worry about that. The Holy Spirit... And the power of God will overshadow you, so the Holy One will be born and be called the Son of God. For nothing is impossible with God. You can imagine how she felt. How would you feel? A teenage girl betrothed to a great guy. Do you know what happens to, to babies out of wedlock, to, to the, the moms back then? Well, she says this, and this just shows her faith and also her, her willingness to, to follow. She says, I'm, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be as, as you said. I'll do this. Let's do this. So then, we have Joseph, and there's some time in between these two, because we see that Joseph already has a plan of action. He's, he's like any guy. Um, his mother, Jesus, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they got married, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Joseph was a good guy. He, he loved the Lord, or he loved God, and he tried to follow the law of the Old Testament. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Do you know what he could have done? During Jesus' time, when Jesus was a, was a man walking around, um, they caught a woman in adultery. And what did they do with her? They drug her to the middle of the town square, and they wanted to stone her. Do you know what Joseph could have done? That very thing. By the cultural law, he, they, that could have happened. He, didn't even, he did not want her stoned. He didn't even want her disgraced. He was deeply wounded, I'm guessing, but he still loved Mary. He said he did not want to expose her to public shame, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was going to go through with it and then divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because who, the baby is from the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now this is wild. 
You know, when, when the angel goes to, Je- to uh, Mary and tells her about the son, he uses all this messianic talk. The throne, the, his king will never end, the, the throne of Jacob, the line of David. What does he tell Joseph? He doesn't add any of that messianic talk in there. He, in fact, he tells Joseph something about his son that they didn't even know if the Messiah would do. He will forgive the people from their sins. See, they were expecting a, a Messiah of like military might to lead them to freedom. He didn't mention any of that. He says, Joseph, your son, will forgive the sins of the people. What a wild statement. As Joseph hears these things, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And, and, and it skips over all the drama there, but can you imagine as, as her tummy's growing, what people are thinking, and, and Joseph standing by Mary, and, and standing fast and confidently and as much as they can, even though it's a small town and people are obviously talking? Well then... The birth of Jesus happens. This is in Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken. And so everyone had to go to their home city. Imagine if right now uh, a census was decreed and you had to go back to your birth city. Where are you guys going? East Liverpool? Ohio. Oh, okay. Anybody, who's going back east? Who's going to the south? Yeah, okay. All right. Anybody going to California? So Joseph packed up the family donkey and went off to Nazareth in Galilee, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And it's so cute, though, too. It's cool it wasn't in the inn because it's in this nice little barn, and, uh, and there's a little glow about it. And the animals are so, um, just they low, they low, right? That's what they said, the animals low, or no lowing they make? Do they not low? How's the song go? Does the baby low? Who lows? <laughs> what is a low? Whatever it is, it's a very nice. But here's the, here's the problem. The word in doesn't mean, we think of hotel, like the red roof. They're leaving a light on for you. None of that. Listen, there's no in in Bethlehem. Like, oh, sorry, we're at capacity, no vacancy. The word in actually doesn't translate to that. Jesus later tells a story about a good Samaritan. Remember who rescues a guy who's injured and takes him to an inn? And the word he uses is a different word. In fact, the word they use for inn here, Jesus uses that word when he says, for the Last Supper, go find a room. Just go find the upper room. And oftentimes in a town this small, Everybody would have their family room. They would have a small guest room, maybe not attached to the house or maybe attached to it because hospitality was such a big, ge- such a big deal. And so most likely, Mary and Joseph arrived at this city and everyone is, just think of how many people are from the line of David. It is packed. Every couch, every cot, every corner, every nook. And they get there and there's not no room in the inn. There's no room anywhere. And so they go to where the animals are. Now, I have researched this a lot, and there's a lot of different thoughts, but I'll tell you what I believe. Do you know what I believe Jesus was born in? A cave. A cave. It doesn't say stable. It never says barn. All we know, we know there's this feeding trough, but in those days, the, the, the sheep were held in caves, and their caves are all over the place. And, and, and here's a picture of one. Uh, it's been cleaned out, and I don't know who she is, but I found this online. This is out there. 
And listen, these caves are mentioned all through the Old Testament to the New. Listen, David actually hid in some caves, these vast caves, but this was a small cave. They would use this for animals. They would stack up rocks to close it. And if you went in these caves, this one's been very thoroughly disinfected, but if you went into a cave, uh, the smell was overpowering. See, there were several feet of packed down manure from thousands of sheep from thousands of years. And there was, a, in one cave, there were six inches or more of soot on the ceiling because at the entryway, the, um, and you can see some of it there, like I said, this one been cleaned. They would, the, the shepherd would start a fire and it would coat that ceiling with soot on the roof. And so for generations, they used these. And so they have, I do believe it was a cave. I believe that Jesus was born in a cave like this. I believe the, uh, there was lowing. I believe there was smell. And I believe they got there late, and this was where he is. In fact, um, second century scholars who have knowledge of the culture and the area and the people, there's one writer called Justin Martyr, refers to Jesus being born in a cave. And so we don't know for sure. That's what I believe culturally probably would have been the most, uh, probably would have happened. I don't know. Um, but I don't think it was the nice barn. I don't think it was that sweet. So, hey, for the children's uh, nativity, let's get a cave, okay? And I want lots of, I want lots of manure. If we're going to be culturally relevant. So here we go. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch at night. Now, shepherds were nomadic people. You know, they didn't go, they, and, and honestly, they were oftentimes ceremonial, religiously unclean. They couldn't go to the temple every day and, and get right with God. They couldn't go do the necessary cleansings of the ritual and all these things that the Old Testament required of them. They were kind of viewed as unclean people. Out there, unbathed, living in caves, um, and not spiritually clean. Angel of the Lord appeared to them, and we already talked about how their youth appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you, and this is awesome, I bring you good news. Now, we talked about good news a few weeks ago. Good news is, that's what gospel means. He's, th he's proclaiming the gospel. I bring you good news. I bring you gospel. I bring you good news of great joy that is for some people. Sorry, I just want to, that's not how it goes. In case you're confused, it's for all people. All political, both, both sides and in the middle and everywhere. All political, everything. The good news is for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. And this is the sign. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Now manger sounds sweet, doesn't it? Oh, a manger, a little wood thing with some nice, clean straw. Now, let me show you what the manger, let me show you, it's a feeding trough. It's a trough. Let me show you what the troughs look like this time. That's a trough. That's, that is a Middle Eastern, this is a picture taken of a trough, a feed trough. Now, they would put food in there, they put water, they would do whatever, they would alter. Jesus very well might have been born in a cave and placed in something more like, like that. You will find him in a, now our cultural context, no, Daniel, that's not right. The preacher is just trying to be edgy. I've seen it, it's a wooden thing, and it's very sweet. Well, <laughs> maybe it was. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising in God, saying, glory to God in the highest, on the earth, peace to men and women whom his favor rests. When the angels left and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go see this baby, let's go see this. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in this manger. And they had, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning all that they had seen. 
Mary treasured all these things in her heart. You can imagine you have a baby. I, you know, we, had, we had Eli and Selah. I just wanted random strangers to come in and go, God announced your son's coming. Oh, oh thank you. Like, Mary treasured this in their heart because people were coming and saying, angels told us he was born. Angels told us the Messiah would be here. It says Mary treasured these things in her heart. You can imagine as a mom, as she heard from an angel, her, her betrothed is heard from an angel, but now other people are getting and hearing these words. Then the Magi. Magi's come from the east. Now, now, this is such a mystery to me. And there's all kinds of theories on how they got information about the Jewish Messiah and was this the remnant of David and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who were wise men over there. They see a star. They have a prophecy. They follow it. They follow a prompt from God. They tell King Herod this. They go, hey, King, we're here to, here to find this child. King Herod, who um, is very doesn't want any of his power to be let go of. He says, oh, go find this child so that I too can worship him. He doesn't want to worship him. So the Magi go and see this child. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Coming to the house, they saw the, now this is much later. We had a sermon a couple years ago about how the Magi did not arrive at the nativity. If you have a nativity with Magi there, put them east, about a couple years away, okay? They'll get there eventually. When they got there, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and, and presented them these things. Having been warned about in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Christmas story. A baby in a feed trough who was fully divine and fully human. Emmanuel, God is with us. This baby would grow up in wisdom and stature. He would gather men and women to himself. He would show love in a way that the world has never seen. He would teach about faith in a way the world has never heard. And he would reveal hope to a world in a way they've never even seen it. He would live a sinless life and be crucified as a criminal. He would give up that life to form a new covenant with God and would take his life back up three days later to provide a way to the Father for every one of us who would receive his gift. Christmas is one of the most amazing moments in the Bible. It's startling. What a striking, impossible miracle. The starting of this grand movement. I want us to expand our awe and our wonder of God and see the plan that he created and the way that he did it. And as we begin to see our faith grow, when we see these things like the Christmas and we are reminded of how big it is and our wonder about God, let us have our faith grow in our own hearts for who he is now, who he is to us, that he would want to speak to us, that he would want to call you, that he would want to move in you and through you, that he would want to see miracles happen in your life and around you. Does your wonder of God have room for that? Or is he manageable? I believe, and was, Charlie and I have talked, and we, you know, we are all in on this movement of God. We are all in on a Jesus movement, and we talked about that last week. But there will be, <laughs> there will be no miraculous movement of God if we don't believe in a God who does miracles. Do you, have, do you believe in a God that still works miracles? Do you? Yeah. Do, do your, does your lifestyle reflect that? Yeah, I believe in a God that miracles. Do you have an expectation that he will do it in your life? Not can he, will he? Do you have a hope that there's greater things for you? Do you have a hope for grand things? Do you have a hope that the people in this region, this in your office, in your home, will, be, will become to Christ and there will be, will we see, do you have hope in that? Because when you begin to have hope in those things, your faith will follow. Expand your expectation and your hope and your faith follows. 
Do you have room for a God who still does miracles? I think we should stop praying just for God to bless our meals. Start praying for God to bring a movement. I think we should stop praying for just a simple protection during our day and start praying for a spiritual production in our day. God, what are we going to do today? God, what do, you, what do you want me to do today? God, what, what do you want me to say or act? or God, tell me. Our hope grows when our prayers grow. And here's the say, listen to this. Look at the magnitude of your prayers and they will reveal the measure of your hope. If the biggest prayer you pray is that God will bless your food, that's as big as your God is. How big are your prayers? They reveal the size of your God. How big, how, what can you do? God, I'm praying for you to do amazing, huge things that only you can accomplish. How big is your hope? How big is your expectation? So the Christmas season, it reminds us of this. It reminds us to take off the governor switch on our faith and say, let's, let, let's move. Let's see God do something great. He, he works miracles. There's wonder. There's awe. Even in the Christmas story that we're so familiar with, be reminded of the amazing way God moved once again, that Emmanuel, God is with us. Christmas is the start of our movement. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 says this. This is the message translation. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine, far more, far more than you could ever guess or even request in your wildest dreams. You can't out-request God, is what it's saying. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. So glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah, Jesus. Glory to God in all generations, those children up here, the old generations in here, all of us. Glory to God through it all, amen. And returning to our Christmas account, returning to what we've already read, when, when, when Mary was there and said, how can these things happen? And we sit here in this room, we say, God, how can these things happen? Is the Jesus movement really gonna happen? As we love God and love people, is it really gonna happen? C can it happen? Can that guy in my office really get saved? Can my dad, can he ever get saved? Can, can I ever get free of my past? Can I ever get free of this addiction? Can, is Jesus' offer real? Is this actually possible well, I'll tell you what they told Mary. With God, all things are possible. With God, nothing is impossible. Let's raise the waterline of our expectation to be a church and a people who expects grand and great things from an amazingly grand God. And let us hope wild, outlandish hopes. And let us pray and move toward those in faith. So when we ask God to bring us a Jesus movement, God, bring a Jesus movement to this place of salvation, of baptism, of discipleship, of healing, of miracles in our lives, our church, our cities. With God, all things are possible. With God, nothing is impossible. Orchard Christmas, Orchard Christmas is a wonderful miracle and time for us to bolster our faith. And we're going to celebrate. Is, it, is Christmas next week? When is it? What day is it? We are about to have three packed services in here. People who come, and, and they're just coming to hear about, you know, about the Christmas and the stuff. We want this to be the start of something for some people. We are praying into Christmas. Charlie's leading us as a staff to, to be bold in our invitations, but also in our prayers. That people come to Christmas, hear a message of Jesus, and decide to come back. And in fact, we have an offer for some of you. We have two nativity scenes, and, and we only have two people in it. If you are in here and you would like to be a part of a grand movement of being in a nativity scene, 
I want you to contact the church office. We have room for you as Mary and Joseph and wise guys and all kinds of things. It's going to be a lot of fun next week. But at the core of the fun and the core of all the fun of this message is the reality that we have a God who is greater than we can ever dream or even request. The Bible is clear that oftentimes our prayers are so small and it's time to brush off that and go, God, I want to expect great things. I want my wonder and awe at the mystery of you to grow. I want my hope, my hope for myself and for my family and for this region to grow. And Christmas is the start of a grand movement. And it takes wonder and awe to believe it happened. So we thank Jesus for his birth. Amen? Thank God that he started this thing in such an amazing way. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you started this movement. God, we thank you for sending Jesus. And even the way it happened, it's so, it's so miraculous, so amazing. And as we come here to take communion today, Father, we take communion based on the sacrifice you made later in your life as you gave up your, yourself to forgive our sins and provide us a way. But Jesus, you started this movement when you were born as an infant dependent on your mom. We celebrate the, my the mystery of the whole thing. I pray for the orchard that we would carry with us an awe and a wonder for you, God. I pray, the Lord, that you begin to open up the faith in our hearts for a God that is massive, God, I pray that you begin to show us the places where we have lost hope for ourselves, lost hope in you. Father, you are grander and greater. You're above all things. Your ways are not our ways. So enlarge our faith, enlarge our hope, and enlarge our wonder and awe. In Jesus' name, amen.